Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Straight out of Cobham, the show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. On this episode, a calamitous defeat against Arsenal exposes more issues at home. The derbies keep coming as the men, women and academy sides face London opposition this weekend. We round up the rest of the Blues news and do a quiz. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is Straight out of Cobham. Oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. What about that then, listener? Uh, it's me, Matt Davis-Adams, here to talk you through what's happened in the world of Chelsea FC since we last met. It hasn't all been good. Uh, Liam Toomey's back with us. Liam, what a night it was on Wednesday. Yeah, and things are so bleak that I'm actually looking forward to the quiz. <laughs> we'll get there suited up and see if you change your mind. Sam Parkin's back with us too. Uh, Sam, with an hour gone yesterday, were you thinking that you could have had the Chelsea number 9 shirt on? <laughs> Most definitely. Matt, Matt, I was just going to start with that. Uh, that was an episode of Bing coming on my mobile phone there. I hope Lucy had me turned down there. If things couldn't get any worse, your oh. least favourite kids cartoon started playing. In my Don't intro. get me started on that. Bing, the, the Andreas <laughs> Christensen of children's television, some might say. Um, if you get that, you have my sympathies. Uh, right, the dust has barely settled on Wednesday night's game with Arsenal, so I'm afraid we've got to start there. Joy from the penalty spot for Bukayo Saka to set the seal on a memorable Arsenal victory that's going to make sure they are in the shake-up for the top four this season. I think we scored five of the seven goals. Uh, I cannot remember. We did the same against Real Madrid here. We did the same against Brentford here and got the same result. Well, what a shambles. Another galling home defeat for Chelsea. Arsenal win 4-2 at Stamford Bridge. Chelsea conceding some truly shocking goals. Lucky to go in 2-2 at half-time, but then Arsenal scored twice after the restart to claim a deserved win. Uh, Liam and I were on hand at Stamford Bridge for this one. Uh, Liam, it's the first time we really noticed the sanctions biting in, in terms of the attendance at the game, I thought. But also, it was a strange atmosphere, wasn't it? You know, the Arsenal supporters were in, were in great voice for obvious reasons, but it all just felt a bit flat from a Chelsea perspective, even before kickoff. And then what happened on the pitch didn't exactly help. It did feel a little bit flat. Um, I saw a couple of people refer to it as a, a little bit of a pre-season vibe. Um, and then as the match developed, there was this weird tension in the air, in the stands and, um, and on the pitch. And I, it seemed to go beyond just really hating losing to Arsenal again. Um, even I, I mean, even I was off my game because I forgot to record a voice note a full time. You know, it's just a complete horror show from everyone. But no, it, 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 it was a it was a weird atmosphere that ended up being the, the, the tone of my piece from Stamford Bridge in the end. And, and you had... Fans openly expressing frustration with Romelu Lukaku, I think more openly than we've seen recently, to the extent that he was he was booed quite loudly when he was eventually substituted. You had fans reacting to Andreas Christensen's latest howler by 
immediately chanting for Thiago Silva. And they got their wish pretty soon afterwards um, at halftime. Not that it helped. And then, of course, at, at full time, you had the most surreal sight of all, which was um, Cesaris Piliqueta, who's usually pretty mild-mannered, um, angrily confronting a supporter as he and Mason Mount kind of tried to do it. Well, not quite a lap, but like, you know, go over to the fans and acknowledge them, the ones that stuck around and not tried to beat the rush back onto Fulham Road. He clearly took exception to something he'd heard. We don't know exactly what was said, but it was quite it was quite unusual to see Aspilicueta react that way, even though he, he often is quite hot after defeats like that. So it was overall, um, and then I thought, you know, I was in t Thomas Tuchel's press conference and it was a very curt, um, bristling experience. He didn't offer much by way of explanation um, for 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 the result um, and for the performance. It, although he did put forward an unusual bit of mitigation for Andreas Christensen with the with saying Chelsea's pitch is not good enough. And he did admit himself that it sounds like an excuse. So he, he anticipated the response. Um, but yeah, he wasn't happy. Fans weren't happy. And and it, it it's not actually a crisis when you look at the Premier League table, but quite a few people last night were acting like it was one. Sam, you ever been in a team that, that struggles at home? And does that kind of self-perpetuate after a while that you know the supporters start feeling a bit edgy then that transmits to the players and then you start not dreading home games but thinking oh no we've not been doing very well here of late because I'm struggling to get get a handle on why Chelsea are, are performing so badly at Stamford Bridge particularly at the moment given how awesome they've been away from home. I certainly have been and you know I'm not sure if it translates to the to the top level but I've been in periods in my career when, of course, it's a relief to get on the bus on a Friday and and look forward to some different surroundings for for, for match day. It, it probably would have been better suited for Romelu Lukaku for one, maybe getting a a rare start away from Stamford Bridge, where you know every touch is is scrutinised at the moment. I'm, I wouldn't criticise the manager for putting him in because I thought he probably had to start last night. Um, but he's not going to get many more opportunities, I would I would say, after that, after that performance. Um, I don't know. I agree with everything Liam said. I was a little bit peeved, really, when I saw the lineup. If I'm being frank, you know, looking at those wing backs, um, I know Aspilicueta got a goal, but does that paper over the cracks a little bit? I'd love to have seen Reese James, you know, playing further forward. As soon as he went there, he. He whipped in this cross that went in at about 80 mile per hour. And I just thought, if you've got Lukaku on the pitch, you know, what's the use of having, you know, two wing backs who are hardly getting into the final third and delivering anything? So, yeah, I, I wasn't enthused by that. And you know, seeing Ziyech and Pulisic on the, on the bench and, and knowing that Thomas Tuchel has had it in his armory to mis, mix up the shapes in, in recent times. I know they finished in a four, it looked to me anyway, that kind of narrowness with Ziyech and, uh, and Mount and then a front two. Could he have gone with something like that last night just for a little bit more excitement? I know it was an open, open game, but I just felt that, and this is quite damning, I just felt that Arsenal had a bit more fluidity a bit more uh, guile in the final third uh, some better patterns of play honestly and I know Smith Rowe and, and Odegaard and 
Saka are all really good footballers, but you know, I think that's quite damning, really. You know, against a, a Chelsea team that has been put together for a considerable amount of money, uh, I thought they were better to watch last night. In truth, going forward, and um, yeah, probably deserved the win. Liam, did Thomas Tuchel underestimate Arsenal, particularly as an attacking force? Now they, they hadn't scored in their three previous games, but but to start with a back three of of James Christensen and Saar seemed extraordinary. Yeah, it's kind of a it's kind of a strange one because the fact that he put James in the back three rather than right wing back suggests that he was thinking about Arsenal's attacking pace um, because that's generally why he puts James there. Um, but then you undermine that by playing Christensen, who's not been playing well recently, and of course is not getting the benefit of the doubt with the fans, given his contract situation and and the clear likelihood that he is off at the end of the season. And Malang Sar, who has enjoyed good moments, but they've usually come next to more experienced defenders uh, and and just look completely out of his depth last night. So as a unit, maybe it didn't make sense. I I understood the James decision from a defensive perspective. I did think it was a primarily defensive one, and you can certainly take issue with with thinking that way at home to Arsenal. But then you undermine that by fielding a defensive combination that I'm not sure Tuchel's actually fielded before. You wouldn't have expected much in the way of chemistry between the three of them. And then in front of them, you've got um, Ruben Loftus-Cheek and Golo Kante and sort of Mason Mount dropping in. Again, it's a combination that you haven't really played before. Um, and I thought Loftus-Cheek started the game quite well, but uh, disappeared as things went wrong for Chelsea and, and Kante produced further evidence that he's not quite at the level that he was last year, certainly to the point where he can fix problems elsewhere. And I think, as Sam says, you know, Arsenal had a clearer, a much clearer idea of what they wanted to do going forward. They were extremely fast and clinical with the opportunities that they did get. Smith Rowe and, and Odegaard were excellent again at creating opportunities against Chelsea and, and they didn't even have to create all their opportunities. So, it, yeah, it just didn't really work. And um, and the fact that, you know, it, what summed up to me actually was something that happened in the second half was Tuchel decided to bring on Hakim Ziyech. And I think there were plenty of Chelsea fans that would have liked to have seen Ziyech start the game given that he was rested uh, and, and ready to go. But he was standing on the touchline for a good 10 minutes. And it got to the point where I was sitting in the press box going, why don't Chelsea just kick the ball out of play? Because it was so obvious that they weren't going to break through. They were just passing the ball really slowly from side to side. Arsenal were just allowing them to do it. And Ziyech was just standing there on the touchline in full kit, getting getting cold, waiting to come on when he was clearly the best qualified person to break down a low block. And it that kind of summed up to me that the lack of uh, joined up thinking on the night. I'll shut up about Reese James in a minute, but <laughs> just, um, he was clearly in the team against Palace as well in that role, maybe because of Zaha, they changed. And last night, Arsenal changed. As soon as it was Emil Smith-Rowe playing on the left-hand side, who spent all of the game coming in field anyway, he was nowhere near the flank. Reese James was completely redundant in that position because he didn't have to defend. He's been so good in some recent games, the, the, the game, uh, uh, the Bernabeu, because he was 
um, put to task and defended unbelievably. Last night, you're missing all that athleticism, all that ball-carrying ability, uh, the deliveries, because he's playing too deep. So that, that was one that could have been changed sooner, um, you know, definitely in, in my eyes. And um, the, the real duel on the pitch was probably for large periods was Saka up against Alonso, who had an absolute field day. So <laughs> that was the issue last night, not who Arsenal had playing on the left-hand side. Yeah, that was not a fair match-up. Um, I, I, I did feel for Alonso because he, he was left isolated against Saka way too often. And it was just a, a matchup that he had no chance of winning. On one other thing on James, that you know, the one other explanation um, that Tuchel has ventured in recent times for playing James in the in the back three is to protect him a little bit physically because he's coming back from injury. So maybe that is part of it. I don't know. Maybe he. Maybe he's. But he just... would have been up against Nuno Tavares, wouldn't he? I mean, this is a guy yeah. who got hooked after thirty-five minutes against Forest <laughs> and at half-time against Palace. You think if there was a way for him to play his way back into into fitness and form, it would be against one of the worst left-sided defenders in the league. Unless you think that just by virtue of bombing up and down the wing for for ninety-plus minutes, he is at more risk of a muscle injury. Maybe, maybe that, maybe that is the one possible explanation that Tuchel could could feel that is is not tactical because clearly from a tactical point of view it didn't serve the purpose it was intended to serve and it it didn't really benefit Chelsea on the night. Well there you go that's uh, probably enough criticism from us three of the UEFA men's coach of the year current world champion and European champion Uh, he usually responds pretty well hopefully Chelsea will too we'll look ahead to the game against West Ham later. Uh, Liam, anything worth mentioning takeover-wise? Uh, it seems like we're not going to get a decision this week, but it, it might be not too long until we until we know a little bit more. Yeah, it's looking more like next week now that Rain will make a, a decision on a preferred bidder and then we can go from there. Um, there hasn't been much tangible progress. The bid teams are waiting, like we are, to hear from Rain and from Chelsea. Um, and in the meantime... We are getting a little bit more of a drip feed of information, um, particularly about the Paluka bid, because that is the the bid that we knew least about going into all this. So, you know, we, we know a little bit more about um, their involvement with True Blue. Uh, it does seem to be sort of certainly quite a close alliance, if not if not quite a formal one at this stage. And they are making much more of an effort to engage with with fans and and be more public from that side of the bid. And they've also, of course, um, circulated a, a much more comprehensive list of names that are backing Paluka and Larry Tenenbaum with the with this bid. Todd Bowley has has been a bit quieter, and I think they're all just waiting now. I don't think there, there aren't going to be any changes to what they're offering at this point. It's just a case of rain evaluating the three different packages with Chelsea and um, and picking one to take to the UK government. But I'm sure everyone now wants this to happen as soon as possible because I think fatigue with this story is also playing a part in the, the frustration that we're seeing at Chelsea at all levels. Yeah, definitely. Uh, reports on Thursday morning as a record too that Lewis Hamilton and Serena Williams are both going to chuck in 10 million quid to help the Martin Broughton bid. Um Liam, this is just adding some gloss to the bid, isn't it? Because ten million quid to drop in the ocean when when you think about the actual price that the club's going to go for is, is that's just about tacking on some high profile names, presumably. 
Yeah, it reminds me a little bit of um, LeBron James' involvement at Liverpool. You know, it's just have a have a high profile superstar sports person or two, just to add a little bit more glitz and glamour. It doesn't affect the the material pros or cons of of Martin Broughton's bid or or the the big picture of what his team might be offering Chelsea. It's just yeah, it's good for headlines, isn't it? athletic.com slash Chelsea pod the place to go to sign up to become a subscriber and get all the news on the takeover and the very best coverage around okay next we'll look ahead to Sunday's game with West Ham this episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra the official beer sponsor of the NBA want to get closer to the game than ever before Michelob Ultra courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Uh, all of a sudden then, this match on Sunday against the Hammers looks like a pretty crucial one. Uh, Sam, how many changes are you making to the lineup from the Arsenal game? I've got Mason Mount and Timo Werner as, as having just about justified retaining their places, and, and then you can kind of take your pick, mix and match from everybody else. Yeah, yeah, there'll be a n- number of changes. Um, I would imagine uh, Havertz probably comes back in. I just I don't think he can he can go with Lukaku again, given the, the the form he's in. Especially that it's a home game as well. You know, on on what I just said. Um, so yeah, I mean, I saw West Ham recently against against Brentford. You know, prior to the to the Leon game, and um, they played very much within themselves. So it's, it's a great opportunity. Um, to, to get one over them after the defeat earlier in the season. They've been pretty pitiful away from home um, since, I think, uh, winning at Palace on New Year's Day. So it's been a bit of a wretched run for them. So just need to you know, try and replicate what they did so well against Southampton and obviously for a large portion of the Madrid game. So, yeah, I'd imagine there's going to be a number of changes and the players that were below par last night are probably going to be even more peripheral figures for the the remainder of the season because the level of the performance was so was so alarming. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't you know one or two having an off day. There was probably half the side, maybe more than that, who were well below their usual level. This is the game where it all started going wrong back in December. The the three two loss at the Olympic Stadium, also the beginning, I think, of the really bad individual mistakes that we've seen that have undone Chelsea's season with that Jared Bowen goal. And and Chelsea haven't done brilliantly against West Ham um, in recent years, maybe slightly better at home, although there is the memory of that Ryan Cresswell goal from a couple of years ago. The one thing you might say is that for once, West Ham might have bigger priorities than Chelsea um, because they have Eintracht Frankfurt on Thursday. This Europa League adventure has become such an amazing storyline for them and it, and it offers just an incredible opportunity to to do something historic for the club so you would think that David Moyes and that group of players um, will have at least one eye on that home game against Eintracht Frankfurt and, and that could benefit Chelsea on the day. But I guess the flip side of that Sam is that they'll say I mean what are they only five points off 
fourth place so yeah, you'd say it's unlikely that they're going to make that up but but they'll be thinking well the last two visitors to Stamford Bridge in the Premier League have each scored four goals and and, and there's a reasonable gap isn't there Sunday to Thursday before the, the first leg of that semi against Eintracht Frankfurt that, that David Moyes might say well if everybody else is scoring goals here we might as well go for it too yeah, I just think it's probably too insurmountable now, th- that gap. I thought Brentford was the last throw of the dice, really. Um, and he went strong, you know, for, for that game and got a little bit of criticism as well for that. Um, but the, the players just didn't didn't have the, the ability to, you know, create anything really in, in that match. And you could tell that they were obviously thinking forward to what was a, a huge night for them in, in Europe. So... No, I, I just don't. I just don't think with with what's on the horizon, they'll have enough here. Despite Chelsea's woes in the last few home games, I just think he'll probably make changes for this one. He's not had the luxury to do so, but I think um, you know Chelsea got the five point gap, haven't they, in fourth, and and West Ham a few points back from that as well. I just I think that that's gone really, and they need to put all their eggs in that basket. To take it back to the Chelsea team, Liam, are you expecting Trevor Chalobah to start here? I know there were some questions about his his recent absences in the in the pre match press conference ahead of Arsenal. He's got a pretty strong case, hasn't he? Um, I, yeah, I saw him warming up at Stamford Bridge before before the Arsenal game, and it was it was kind of a a timely reminder that he still exists. Um, we've we've not seen him in a while, and that that that's one thing. If the defenders in front of him are performing at the level that we've usually seen under Tuchel. But in light of everything that's happening, particularly in these home games, and if Andreas Christensen is now unavailable to play for a little while, based on what you know, whatever the problem was that forced him off at half-time against Arsenal, there's even more of a case for, for Chalaba to come in on the left or the right of that defence. I think Tuchel said as well that he doesn't expect Rudiger to be fit for this game. So there are just gaps all over the place. And given the way Saar performed, you could make a case for Chalaba playing off the left of that back three or the right. And and I think he's capable of doing a solid job at either. So it'd be nice to see him get opportunities in the final weeks of the season. He's been one of the stories of Chelsea's season. And uh, and and he's certainly got a case on form to to come in now. So Callum Hudson-Odoi still unavailable. We'll have to wait and see on Rudiger Kovacic out for another couple of weeks too. Uh, Chelsea have only won two of the last five meetings against West Ham. It's a two o'clock kickoff UK time on Sunday. Uh, elsewhere in Chelsea news, the women's team have the first part of a double header against Spurs this weekend. On Sunday, the Blues go to the Hive to play Tottenham before the pair meet at Kings Meadow on Thursday of next week. Uh, they're both league games. Going into the weekend, Chelsea a point clear of second place to Arsenal. Both sides have played 18 of their 22 league games. Spurs v Chelsea is a 2.30 kickoff UK time on Sunday. Arsenal are at Everton later that evening. A listener, you'll remember the men's under-23s are fighting to retain their place in PL2 Division 1. The Young Blues' next game in their bid to beat the drop is away to Brighton on Monday. Uh, meanwhile, there was good news for the under-18s this week. They beat Spurs 3-2 at Cobham. The title's out of reach for them, so Ed Brand mixed his team up a bit, including some of the under-16 squad. Chelsea were a goal up, then 2-1 down, before Leo Castledine hit the winner five minutes from time. Uh, their next game is yet another derby. That's away to West Ham 
on Saturday. Uh, some good news, I suppose, this morning. Didier Drogba has been inducted into the Premier League Hall of Fame for whatever that is worth. I mean, the obvious thing here to say, Liam, is that they could have done with him against Arsenal on Wednesday night. Um, do you think Romelu Lukaku will be inducted at the end of his career? Well, a particular resonance to the timing of Drogba's introduction with, with Chelsea losing to Arsenal, given what he did to those that particular opponent over a number of games. Um, well, Lukaku, I mean, did well, did well at Everton, but I'm not sure it's quite uh, meets the threshold for, for Hall of Fame status. And it now very much looks like both big chapters of his Premier League career are going to be remembered as disappointments at Manchester United and at Chelsea. Uh, we'll, we'll see what happens with Lukaku, but it's it's looking less and less likely to, to have an unexpected, happy turn. He's got off quite lightly on this podcast this morning. Is that because Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank did our work for us last night, Liam? <laughs> he was scathing. Um he redeemed himself, by the way, because uh, earlier on in the show, he'd questioned Mason Mount and Bakayo Saka's end product. And I had a quick little look and they were both going into the game as the leading scorers at their, at their relevant <laughs> club. So I thought that wasn't the best from Jimmy. Well, there was also the, uh, the, the spectre of Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank criticising a striker for not running endlessly for the team <laughs> when that wasn't really his reputation. Um, although, of course, Hasselbank played in a very different era of the Premier League. Um, but I, I, I did think generally those, those comments were particularly damning mm. coming from him because you're talking about a guy who did deliver in big games for Chelsea, who did find a way to impact things consistently. Um, and when he's when he's prepared to go that strong in his assessment, I think it's a bit more significant um, than it than it would be coming from any of us. I th the main reason I haven't really talked about Lukaku too much today is I don't feel like there's much new to say about the whole situation. It just looked like a you know it's been two months since his previous Premier League start against Crystal Palace, and it just looked like a continuation of him looking him looking for certain passes um, that Chelsea weren't looking to play. And then when they didn't arrive, he was just kind of static. And then when the ball came up to him high, um, he was completely ineffective in those situations, which he has been for most of the season. And no Pablo Marie at Arsenal anymore. So no one for him to post up and, and, uh, and abuse in the middle of the Arsenal defence. The game just passed him by. And that appears to increasingly happen now against any sort of tactically uh, diligent opponent. And it, it, as long as that's the case, it's very, very difficult to see how he's got a future at Chelsea. Still, good news about Drogba going into the Hall of Fame. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think it's time we did a quiz. Chelsea v West Ham is the theme. Liam and Sam answer me these questions three. Liam, you're up first. Which current Chelsea player has scored in two of his three appearances against West Ham? Hmm. Um. Gonna have to hurry you. Yeah, okay. <laughs> always apply the pressure midway through my thinking time. We can edit this down, Matt. Um... <laughs> 
Need an egg timer for this, Lucy. Mm. Um, all right. I've uh, got it if that does Mason anything Mount. for you. Mason Mount is incorrect. Go on, Sam. Tiago Silva. Tiago Silva is the That's right answer. That's absurd. <laughs> absurd, but correct. So it's 1 0 to Sam. He hasn't even answered one of his own questions yet. Uh, looking pretty smug. Let's see if that stays after this question. Joe Cole played for both Chelsea and West Ham. He made the most appearances for any club in his career whilst at Chelsea. The second most for West Ham. For which club did he make the third most appearances for? Joe Cole. Premier League winner. Racked up a few clubs towards the latter stages of his career. Yeah. Um, don't think he was anywhere for more than a season, apart from the place in the States, whose name's going to escape me. So I'm going to go for 40 games at Lille. It's incorrect, I'm afraid. Sam, can you steal it, Liam? I was going to go for Lille. Um Liverpool. He played 43 games for Lille, though, so that was a good guess. Liverpool? Liverpool is incorrect. He played 42 for Liverpool. The answer we were looking for with 86 was the Tampa Bay Rowdies. So it's still 1-0 to Sam. Liam, here's your second question. In 14 games against the Hammers, how many goals did Edin Hazard score? I remember one at the Olympic Stadium where he ran through and rounded the keeper. That was Conte's title-winning season. Mm, the better one do was this at Stamford to... Bridge, wasn't it, in his last season? Yeah, the I watched slalom. it on TV wishing I was there. <laughs> <laughs> Sam's like, why are you listing the goals? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to say six. Oh, it's spot on. Sensational. Back in the game. Uh, one one then as we go uh, into Sam's second question. Which one season wonder scored their first goal for Chelsea and won their League Cup win against West Ham in two thousand and four? One season wonder's the clue. Um No, nothing. Liam? Crespo. No, it's not Crespo. Is this technically 2003-4 or 2004-5? Because that affects my one-season wonder answer. Important clarification. Uh, it is 04-05. Um, it's going to annoy me, this, isn't it? Yuri mm. Yarosik. No, it was Matija Kazman. No. Oh, yeah, pretty obvious one, that, really. Uh, Not okay. much of a wonder for that one season. <laughs> more, of no. a, more of a woodwork botherer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one season wonder was, was just because I like alliteration, really. Okay, final question. He, I prefer the one he got with his studs at the Millennium Stadium. From oh, the in the League Cup final, yeah. And got Amazing. blocked about a yard over the line, didn't it? <laughs> Wheeled away like he'd bent one in from 25 yards. Glorious. Uh, is it one all or is it 2-1 to Sam? One each. One all. Okay, so this is important then. Final question for Liam. Who scored Chelsea's first Premier League goal against West Ham? It came on March the 26th, 1994. Um, How old were you at that point? I was five. Okay. Yeah. 
but I remember it. Um, <laughs> I'm going to say... Producer Lucy wasn't even born, I don't think. Horrendous. Mark Steen. Mark Steen is incorrect. Sam, can you steal it? All I can see is Zola twisting up Julian Dix in front of the, the shed end when they didn't have any... They didn't have a stand. Do you remember it? Yeah, I think it was a bit later. A few years later. It's a few years later. It's a few years later. It's not my final answer. Um, uh, I will go for... It's too early for a minute, surely. 94. Um, Cascarino. It was Glenn Hoddle. Right, so you need to get this, Sam, to avoid it being a one-all draw, which is probably the most unsatisfactory result that we could get in a three-question quiz, I would argue. Uh, who scored Chelsea's second Premier League goal against West Ham? Also on March 26, 1994. So Hoddle had made it 1-0. Who added the gloss to the scoreline by getting the second? I mean, it's this ridiculous questions. Yeah, it, in a way, but you know, you could have gone, oh, Glenn Hoddle was player manager then. Maybe he scored. And now, you know, are you thinking, oh, it's somebody obvious? Is it somebody random? Is it somebody who's featured on this quiz before? Is there some kind of link? Um, for me to the say. answer to all of those things is no. <laughs> <laughs> um, Gavin Peacock. Oh, it's not right. Liam? That was actually going to be my guess. Um, <laughs> John Spencer. No, it was Darren Barnard. Straight <laughs> ah, out of Cobham Quiz Legend. <laughs> That's why I picked him. That it, 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 you're always going to have half a chance if you guess Frodo Grodas or Darren Barnard. That is long since established. Uh, one all the final score then. Um, yeah. Sorry, that was a bit unsatisfactory. I'll try and do better next week. Uh, Liam, you mentioned your post-match piece from the Arsenal game. What else are you going to be working on this week? Um, well, I'm also going to the West Ham game, so I'll be writing something about that. Uh, you know, without revealing too much, you know, I went into the Arsenal game with the idea for a match piece, which was swiftly overtaken by events. So it might well um, come to fruition in the West Ham game, and and beyond that. We're just we're just making news calls on um, on the takeover, and while we don't expect anything to happen to, until next week, uh, always have to stay vigilant. Uh, Simon's teamed up for a piece with Mark Carey on Chelsea's poor home form, which is uh, pretty pertinent, I would suggest. Sam, where in the wide world of football are you this weekend? I'm working on the the football league show this this weekend, but I'm also going to find time to watch uh, Chelsea v West Ham United from 1994, March the 26th, when uh, Glenn Hoddle and uh, Darren Barnard scored. Hell of a game! We need to tweet out that Darren Barnard goal with the with the podcast. I think we need to get Darren on and just do a Darren Barnard special quiz, the life and times of uh, of Darren Barnard. We can we can uh, make it happen. Barnsley is that an answer? <laughs> quite probably uh, right that'll just about do it for us today good luck to all the Chelsea teams in their respective derbies this weekend whatever happens we'll handle the fallout in Monday's pod do join us for that if you can until then from Liam from Sam from Lucy and from me many thanks for your company bye for now The Athletic <laughs>